Hi, Dave Lipman, Truth in IT. Welcome to today's webcast, Overcoming the Tsunami of Unstructured Data. In just a second, I'm going to be bringing on John Kalmas, who is VP of Business Development with Operavi, as well as Mike Matchett, who is Senior Research Analyst and CEO of Small World Big Data. Uh, before I bring those guys on, a couple housekeeping tips. We expect today's webcast to go about 30 minutes. Um, there is a Q&A panel, so just enter your questions and we'll get to those toward the end of the broadcast. Uh, as you know, we are also doing an Amazon giveaway. Uh, we're not going to disrupt the conversation to announce it. We're just going to display the names across the bottom of the screen. So just keep your eyes open. We'll put out um, reminders and alerts and all that so you won't miss it. But uh, you can't be listening. You've got to be watching. So uh, without further ado, uh, let me see if Mike and John are here. Guys, are you here? Yeah, hi. Hi, Dave. All right, great. Yep. I think Dave. we've got... All right, excellent. All right, so uh, Mike, why don't we kick things over to you, and then we'll, we'll go to John, and uh, we'll get right to it. All right, thanks, Dave. Yeah, this is Mike Matchett. Uh, we have seen a lot happening in the data protection space recently. Backup is dead. Backup is not dead. Backup is everything. Backup is nothing. Uh, we have got new technologies coming out. We've got faster storage. We've got people saying, hey, I'm moving my data sets into a hybrid environment or a multi-cloud environment. I've got on-premise data. How do I back all that up? Backup windows are growing. And of course, it's not really about backup, it's about recovery. Uh, and then people are saying, look, if I've got all this data and I want to make a backup of it and, and protect it, I also want to make use of it. I want to get some, some value out of it, whether it's an active archive or whatever. Those use cases are also converging into this. So it was with a, a great pleasure that uh, we started to talk with a company called Operavi. And so we got them here today and we're going to listen to a little presentation. Um, uh, welcome, John. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the uh, the warm intro there. Yeah, um, you know, Operavi, it, it's interesting. So um, my, my first, you know, kind of slide presentation that I've got uh, is is a, a big thing of the name. And, and people always asking, what, is, what does Operavi mean, right? Like, where does it come from? So uh, Operavi is a form of the Latin word operare, which actually means to prepare, make ready, or equip. So all of our leadership, we, we came out of uh, legacy backup companies, Rod Christensen, our CTO. Uh, this is his fifth whole data protection engine between uh, Yosemite Tapeware, CA's uh, ArcServe DDD product, uh, you know, a, a joint venture over at Nova Store. So, uh, you know, we, we saw a pretty big problem with, with uh, data management, especially in the, in the kind of the new world of, of hybrid and multi-cloud. And our name actually means to prepare, make ready, and equip. And that's what we believe we're here to do is prepare uh, enterprises and even small businesses, MSPs, with uh, how to manage their data uh, over you know, a, a changing lifestyle uh, or life cycle um, in, in the cloud or even on-prem. I mean, it's one thing uh, to have a, a product that does a small slice of this pie, but people are getting to the point now where Storage is moving underneath, clouds are moving on, on, on top, hosting is changing, and one thing has to stay constant, which is the data needs to be protected, right? So uh, fitting right in between that, almost providing this insulating layer uh, between those sounds like where you guys are really going to add some value. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that um, most of our customers are using us in, in a kind of hybrid, hybrid cloud environment where they're uh, you know, dealing with multiple different types of storage on-prem, multiple different cloud providers, and looking to to try and you know have something that can seamlessly go across all those uh, different sites, locations, storage devices, etc. So yeah. 
So let's let's just start at, at the at, at the real motivating factor here. It's 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 about unstructured data, right? This is yeah. this is this is you know we've solved the problem in structured data uh, and and what we know about data growth and the data tsunami and big data is it's really unstructured and it's yep. coming at huge volume. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. And and I've got a a, a slide showing right now that is the you know the challenge of unstructured data, right? And and the 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 reality is, is in the past, uh, structured data made up a lot of, of organizations, uh, you know, important information. And a lot of the backup engines were kind of built around that structured data format. But, you know, what, what we see now is that uh, unstructured data is growing, you know, at a, at a massive growth rate. I think, uh, on average, the latest statistic I saw was 60% of, of, of data growth per year is attributed to unstructured data. 90% of the of of all data by 2023 is forecasted to be uh, to be um, unstructured, and I think the bigger issue is it's not necessarily that oh hey I've got you know 50 terabytes or 100 terabytes or you know a petabyte of data whatever it might be it's the fact that it's millions upon millions of these discrete individual files that have to be you know cataloged indexed and and uh, you know put somewhere right and they they need to be accessible. Um, we did a uh, uh, a study a, a bit last year at the end of the year around kind of long-term data retention drivers, and one of the big reasons why why we changed our branding from kind of like long-term data retention to active archive is because enterprises were reporting that 85% of their archived data was being accessed as as much as biweekly, um, which is insane to me. I was like, I don't believe that for a minute, but. What 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 we found out is that the the data growth was was flooding their you know their primary storage it was flooding their secondary storage and the their most effective way to get it out to cloud was was to archive it or off to some cheaper storage was to archive it but yet the data that was in that was created from the last two years it's relatively you know recent data um, and and that was a, kind of an eye opening moment for us where we were like okay. We really need to focus on the availability of, of data, you know, wherever it may be in its life cycle. Um, you know, if it's on primary, secondary, tertiary, you know, uh, storage, um, and and provide information on that data where it sits, uh, as well as the capability to to retrieve it um, in general. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of this uh, uh, curve of accessing data where we're accessing you know, our primary. Uh, hot data here, and as it ages, we access it a little bit less and less. Uh, but as that data growth gets huge, we've had to move our archiving bar up much farther. Yeah. So, so that not only are we moving into the realm of archiving data that's still got a lot of active life to it, there's more of it as as that as the rising tide lifted that. So we've actually kind of compounding the problem uh, in archive, uh, and um, that's to me just a, a fascinating a fascinating area of where storage has to go. Um, so, uh, wh where do you go next? What do you, where, where, what did you guys actually decide to do to, to make this an active archive? Yeah. So, um, really it started with, with identifying some of the foundational issues with existing solutions. Um, and, and what we found with, with a lot of the existing engines out there is, is, and, and a lot of enterprise we talked to are saying, yeah, well, my backup software, that's just how I do long-term data retention, right? I, I start with my backup software and, and it, it, it's got some archiving features and, and you're like, okay, you know, how's that working for you? 
And, and that's when you started getting like the honest responses of, well, it really isn't. Um, we've, we've got massive issues with, uh, you know, backup windows, uh, restore times. Um, you know, we have no idea what we have in, in our secondary tertiary storage. So, you know, we set out to, to kind of address some of these problems, right? Um, we wanted to build an engine that wasn't built, you know, 15 years ago around structured data or even, you know, five, 10 years ago, you look at what, what we refer to today as modern backup and they, these engines were still built almost a decade ago, right? Um, and, and they're built around structured structured data or they're built around, you know, proprietary image-based formats, um, right? And that was the the de facto response to, to large file sets is like, okay, we'll just take an image, right? And, and the problem with that is, is those images are opaque or are opaque. You can't go into there. You can't manipulate the data inside of it. So when new regulations come out, like GDPR, for example, um, you know some of the, the the capabilities that GDPR demands are not possible with image-based type solutions, right? Yeah. Um, there's a, a granularity issue that, you know, that that comes up. Like you have to protect this vast volume of data, but it has to be addressable, indexable, or policies have to be able to apply to it at a, at a granular level. So exactly you know, them as objects, full class objects. Yeah. It, exactly, and that and that's a, a very near impossible thing to do unless you're going to, you know, I think a lot of the organizations we've seen are like, oh, we're just going to mount something, you know, if we're using S3, we'll mount something EC2, we'll point to it, we'll pull out, you know, track what we need, yada, 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 and it's just like, man, that's cumbersome. <laughs> um, and, and you know, with these engines, really, they're they're just not cloud or storage optimized, right? They, they the engines weren't forecasting the data growth that, that we're seeing, and so you end up with these you know, pretty, you know, complex tools that are incredibly expensive, you know, as they've bolted on new technologies, maybe they've acquired a company and they've tried to kind of make their engines talk to each other. And, and it just, it, it's, it's broken. That, that's just the bottom line. It's broken. Yeah. So uh, in doing this, uh, in, in addition to the granularity thing and, and getting this to work, uh, you just sort of touched on the fact that yeah. well, it must be uh, a way to, um, uh, 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 I mean, we, t we touch on the open data format. So there's there must be a way to create a, a universal storage format for all this. And that's what you guys sort of started tackling with this open data format. Yeah, alongside our open data format is, is designed around um, making sure that, that Operavi isn't the only solution that can retrieve your data, right? Um, so we've actually documented our entire data format. Um, we've, we've placed a a reader for that, you know, in, in public domain. Um, the, the goal there, and it still is, I mean, it's a proprietary format to Operavi. However, we've documented it, we made it available and open. So it's not like you can go into cloud and, you know, just see your data. We're not kind of file sync and share, right? Um, so it is going to remain in cloud compressed, encrypted, uh, obviously. Um, but, uh, by documenting that, you know, any third party with the right access, right? So you need to be able to to have your uh, keyring encryption that you've set up with Operavi. Uh, you need to have obviously your direct access to your to your S3 bucket. Um, and if you retrieve that file, you know, let's say with with uh, with an Operavi, um, but you want to read it with you know something else, uh, the document data format would would su would support that absolutely. Yeah. This becomes a, this becomes a, a kind of a time machine for my files uh, uh, across a, a multi-cloud scenario or wherever I have it or hybrid scenario, uh, and then lets a whole ecosystem of players jump in at some point 
when 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 that develops and they can come in and do uh, all sorts of extra tasks on top of that archive. So it really does stay active. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So um, by uh, nature, we have a full RESTful API across the board. Um, we're partnering with with different companies to provide you know, analytics, things like that to, to data that's already sitting in cloud. So you don't have to pull everything back down before you, uh, before you actually learn, learn something from it. But again, it's all predicated on you having the right access and the right. encryption. Okay. Keys. So let's, so let's tell, tell me a little bit about the, the architecture here, uh, uh, and, and what it is that you're doing on premise, uh, you know, where, where's the data flow a little bit and, and, yeah. and where's it go? Absolutely. So, uh, on this slide here, we've got our, our active archive architecture, um, mm -hmm. So our architecture consists of, of three uh, main uh, you know, uh, pieces of software, essentially. So the, uh, the platform is web-hosted. Uh, Operavi actually hosts that for, for all our clients, but uh, some do, do ask to host it themselves, and that, that is fully capable. Um, and then on-premise, right, you'll, you'll have two pieces of, of, uh, of software from us. One is a uh, software appliance. So... Uh, we, we wrestled with, do we do a hardware appliance? Do we make this appliance-based? And ultimately, we decided no, because what we realized is that our software was so efficient that it didn't require proprietary hardware and you know, expensive disk to, to run. It, it's really you know, network, uh, network contingent. So our architecture kind of treats the source as, as an edge, right? So you, the source is doing uh, quite a bit of the work. Um, so we've got a transparent agent that's there. And it it does it handles kind of its its own its own tasks, and then uh, it even has some capabilities to uh, to cluster together with other sources to help compute. But along with that three tiered architecture, we do um, three different storage operations, right? And this is all based on how how Operavi you want to be. Um, so when we when we hop into to a new infrastructure, uh, the first thing that will happen is you'll set up your your software appliance. Uh, you'll then uh, invite your agents to it. We do like a Netflix-style check-in where it gets a code, a specific code, and it's like, okay, this is my platform, this is my my appliance, and it and it automatically inherits the the policy that you've defined. Um, the very first thing we do is is what we call a CDP checkpoint. Um, should the user have configured those, but if they have, uh, that will be the first thing that that's done. In essence, what that is, is it's a file-by-file -file picture of everything that you've selected, right, um, to, to back up or to, uh, to retain. Now, what will happen, uh, you can configure those to run every, you know, five minutes if you wanted to, every one minute. It, it's not like as something changes, it's like, ooh, something new, right? It's not constantly doing that. You have to tell it how frequently you want it to look for, for, for new and changed data. Um, the, uh, the next storage operation that happens is our snapshots. So snapshots, uh, simply enough, are, again, they're file-by-file -file picture of everything that you've selected. The main difference here is that snapshot is moved off of the source, and it now lives on that software appliance storage. Mm -hmm. And as we do that, we clean up behind ourselves. So those CDP checkpoints end up being more like a temporary recovery cache, so we're not constantly growing you know, your, your, your primary disk. Um, the checkpoints themselves can be stored on direct attached hardware, internal storage, or network attached storage. You can define your path all through there if you like. And the same is true with the with that software appliance. And, and so, and, and, and just, so just to be clear, we're talking uh, incremental snapshots and of just the uh, uh, what's 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 being uh, changed and needs to be protected. Exactly. Yeah. So. 
why we actually, let me correct myself, uh, the first thing we do is a snapshot. So we'll, that snapshot will live on the appliance and then all those checkpoints then become sub-file increments of you know the change to new data. Um, and that's true kind of through the, the entire stack of storage operations. So uh, once, once you have a software, you know, once you have a, a snapshot up on the appliance, everything after that is, is sub-file, um, you know, incremental forever style uh, retention. Yeah, um, so the snapshots, like I said, you can configure those pretty frequently. They're going to clean up any checkpoints that were done between those two points because we're not du we don't want to duplicate data, right? Um, you know, uh, on on that end, and and then at that point, you're going to define your your archive solution. That's when data is going to head out to the cloud, right? As as soon as you're archiving, um, there is some you know cloud support if you wanted to go that route, but we're really telling people that you know. You want to have the data on-prem, you know, for those oops moments, those quick recoveries, those quick retrievals where you need to get something back quick and you don't want to have to go out to cloud to find it. Um, but once you go out to cloud, you know, we, we're, we're pretty much storage and vendor agnostic on that front. So you can create a generic S3 object store. You can create, um, you know, a, a dedicated S3 object store. We support Wasabi, uh, mm -hmm. Azure, Google Cloud. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of constantly expanding, but we actually... You know, don't don't tell you that that a generic S3 object store is, is non-supported. So uh, you might have you know something out there that's presenting itself internally as as you know S3 objects or like private cloud because maybe public cloud doesn't make sense for you. It might be too costly, um, and we absolutely support that as well. So so no issues there. Um, archives work very similar as as snapshots and checkpoints in that. The uh, once an archive is out to the cloud, we can you define how many versions you want to keep on premise, right? And then we'll start cleaning up behind ourselves with those snapshots um, uh, as well. All right. So we've got checkpoints, we've got snapshots, and you've got archives. When the, when the user is going after something and recalling it, do they have to be aware of that architecture, or are they what are they seeing? Are they, are they choosing yeah. So we everything's done by point in time. Um, so you're able to select a point in time of when you need your your data from. Um, and the software is going to manage the, the best place to retrieve that from. So if it, if it has it in a checkpoint, you know, it, it knows that from, from the date and time. Okay. Uh, it'll, it'll grab it from there really quickly. Same is true with snapshots and archives. Um, the, the beauty of how we've built the software is you actually you know, don't necessarily need to know where it is. You just need to know when it was. And the software is going ha to handle that for you. Uh, so there's a lot of times I don't know when I want something either, but that's a that's a different problem. That's a self, <laughs> and that's where some of our kind of our features uh, come in on on the next slide actually. So um, one of the things that we do is uh, because we're a dynamic and hybrid cloud storage company, we need to provide uh, some some capabilities of of advanced archive search, content based search. So. If, if you know that uh, in the, the title of the name, for example, is, you know, match it, right? So, you know, oh, I, need to, I need to find everything that has my name attached to it. You type that in, it's going to then present everything that has your name on it, and you can, you can choose the version that you want. So, our, our retrievals um, or recoveries, the difference being recovery is, you know, crap, I lost something. Retrieval means, ooh, I need to learn from, from the past. That's going somewhere else. Um, the... Uh, you can you can look through those uh, through content. You can look through them via classifications, right? So if it's finance data, etc., you know we have automated classifications. You can custom classify data. Um, uh, you can also look at you know metadata as well. So a lot of different ways to uh, to find the data that you need to retrieve or recover.
right, so this is this is where we start to get smart about it and it being active uh, as a usable yeah. archive and not just as a backup. Uh, you know, oh, I, I messed up the whole file system. Give me that back. Now I can go in and say, no, I want all the files that mentioned x y and z that were written by this person in that time frame bring those back uh and and exactly. the versions right so exactly. this, this yeah, definitely uses um you know standard archive uses perhaps but it uses an e-discovery or our forensics or uh, uh getting back data um, i mean just uh, all sorts of things rebuilding processes that got lost or, or files or recreating scenarios uh which is yeah you the the way we've built you know the classification engine the search things like that it, it's kind of like uh it's deeper than you're going to see any other data protection and archive solution go, but it's not as deep as, as a dedicated e-discovery solution, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of e-discovery light. Right, uh, and, and we mentioned you're going to have an ecosystem of people playing on the open data format, which is also here on this slide, right? So that would be people with extreme vertical experience in different use cases can come to the table here and play fairly across it. It, exactly, and and really our goal with that when we when we set out that's kind of like a secondary benefit that that might be the primary now that we've you know been in the market for a little bit. But uh, the the goal around our open data format was vendor lock. Uh, we wanted to get rid of it, um, whether that was us or whether that was you know in the cloud. Uh, it it really was was focused on you know how do we ensure that people are are comfortable with with having their data, you know, in in a cloud location, um, and and with with us as a vendor. And so, we we used our kind of dynamic hybrid cloud storage uh, as well as our open data format to to kind of end that. And I'll explain that for a second. So, by way of how we're placing data in the cloud, we actually put each individual uh, increment or file as its own object uh, in cloud storage. So that gives, yep. So that gives us that subfile granularity in the cloud to identify, you know, individual iterations of files. Um, you know, you might have a base file that doesn't mention your name, but you have an increment that does, right? We can go in and, and provide, you know, that that latest increment and and actually uh, remove it uh, with with our pruning algorithms, uh, or we can, you know, take take some action on it. For example. Um, Let's say I've been working with Amazon S3 for the last five years with Operavi, um, and you know what? They're just not getting on board with this multi-cloud world. They think multi-cloud is just different, different, you know, Amazon buckets in different regions, for example. And I've got a new CIO who's who's you know used to come from Google, and, and he's got all sorts of credits there. And so we're going to move, right? In a traditional, uh, you know, archive and data retention world, that's a nightmare. Right, and and you end up having to either bring data back down on prem, and then reclassify it, re-index it, and throw it back out to the new cloud, um, you know, or you've got to pay these, and you've got to pay these massive egress fees as of today. Um, I imagine those will go away soon, but uh, those um, that that headache is is why people stay locked into their clouds with Operavi. Uh, you can use one cloud today and switch to another at any point. And what will happen then is all the changed and new data is going to go to that new cloud while your old data sits in that in, in the previous one. So you're still having the two clouds, but we've immediately stopped the bleeding, stopped the growth of cloud A. You're now putting all the new things in cloud B. We can recover seamlessly using any, the combination of those two locations. Um, but our pruning, and this is where some of the secret sauce comes in, is we're actually able to uh, prune data on policy or at will at subfile granularity. 
So you can discover individual pieces of data and remove it automatically. Um, or as individual retention policy is going to hit, Cloud A's data is going to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until you've got nothing but the bare minimum of data. So your bill is going to go nowhere but down you know, after you migrate to that new cloud. Um, so we really wanted to end that cloud vendor lock-in to prevent people from saying like, look, I, I can't be multi-cloud. I can't you know, move, move my data over. Um, if, if somewhere cheaper comes along, I think a lot of people are looking at Wasabi now and be like, ah, like, why weren't you here five years ago when I started this whole thing, right? With Operavi, that, that argument is, is null at that point because you can move to wherever the most cost-effective location for your data is, um, which is also, you know, our, our data-centric retention policies, you know, uh, it actually allows you to put data into different clouds, um, you know, based on importance, right? Not all data is created equal. Uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are, I, I saw a study that I think um, Backblaze did a couple days ago. It, it popped up on, on PR Newswire and it was like 46% uh, of people are just backing up everything, right, of users. They're just backing up everything, just like, yeah, get it there, right? I'm scared. I don't know what I have. Just get it there, right? And, and yeah, that might have worked couple years ago, but now it doesn't work. Like diff different data has different retention policies. It needs to be treated differently. Not all data is created equal. And so Operavi knows that and allows you to, to put different retention uh, policies, move it to different clouds, start it in different clouds, just ultimate flexibility is what we set out to do. Yeah, I think there's only this, I mean, we've only seen the start of what's going to have to happen with uh, data retention with GDPR and, and the rest of it. I think it's just going to keep getting more and more uh, dense and complicated for a user to try to untangle. And what you're offering are some very powerful features that that, that increment, that sub-increment ability to go in and do GDPR kind of controls that. Yeah. Uh, sounds amazing. Targeting a particular cloud by policy for certain kinds of data. Again, same thing. Uh, it just sounds like someone who's facing a lot of those regulation and compliance issues is going to absolutely have to have this kind of solution. Yeah, absolutely. We we were uh, you know speaking with uh, you know last week we had a call with uh, you know I'm not going to name them but this probably one of the largest uh, healthcare organizations in the world and uh, the was talking with their director of data management and it was almost like a therapy session <laughs> because <laughs> the only way that they that they were actually able to to you know handle um, their data was to start kind of hodgepodging things together, building their own solutions. They were really handcuffed, but not only by regulation, but by the sheer you know, petabyte scale of data they had. And, you know, again, Operavi didn't, didn't exist when they started this whole thing. So they had to set out uh, to solve these problems that they had um, with, with their own tools. And uh, so it's a, it's a promising new prospect for us. It's probably going to take us the year to close. But uh, uh, at any rate, yeah, that it, like I said, we, we became almost like the therapist, right? We were just like, you don't understand. I've got this and this. And it's like, no, 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 we do understand. We've been in this space for, for like 15 plus years. Like, we get it. We came from this world. I understand. You know, so it was, it was a lot of fun it was a, uh, to have that call. It was, it was a lot of solid validation for us. Right, great. I mean, I mean, I can, I can just see you walking in and saying, you know, for people who really have these huge problems, it's like, you know, here's a can of our pruning juice, right? This is what ah! He's like, we're going to help you get out of this problem, right? We're going to help you move forward here. Uh, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, tell me a little bit about multi-cloud again. You said you meant you can put data in a couple different clouds. How many different clouds do you support? What is What does your cloud ecosystem look like? 
Yeah, so um, on, on this slide, I kind of showed the different supported operating systems, the, the different clouds that, that we're working with. Um, you know, the, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, we have support for Google Cloud, AWS, Azure. Uh, we recently certified IBM Cloud. We're supporting Wasabi, Coringo, um, Scality, Cloudian uh, from a private cloud object storage standpoint. Uh, we're working with Oracle right now to do a, a certification with them as well. Um, but uh, that isn't the end all be all, right? So you have these options within our software where a few of these are available for drop down, you know, the, the tier ones obviously, uh, where we'll actually go in and create the bucket for you if you don't have one, you know, after you give us your, your keys and whatnot. But um, the, uh, the other capability is you actually can define your generic S3 object store. So if, if you have something that's not on this list, we're still gonna support you, right? We're still gonna say, yeah, we can support that and, and our techs will work with you should there be any weird issues with regions or what have you, uh, we're able to, uh, to support you on, on that front as well. Uh, Everything from Mike's object store that I'm writing myself to uh, some satellite object storage, we can talk about. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Elon Musk is uh, building submarines and satellites in the sky, exactly. Um, yeah, so the... Uh, um, is the, as long as it's an S3 storage API with, with V4 authentication, we support it. Awesome, awesome. Uh, uh, let, me, let me ask you a little bit about how someone who's dealt with a complexity issue. How do you simplify the complexity issue? I've got five different storage systems, three different clouds. I've got uh, a bunch of different things I'm doing for lots of different applications. Yeah. This is delivered management-wise uh, in, in, a, in a nice way to, for a single person to really grab hold of the entire enterprise, right? Yeah, so we, um, again, we, we come from a lot of different backup engines and data protection storage storage interfaces. So we built from the ground up to, on the get-go a multi-tier and multi-tenant architecture. Um, so you have full capabilities to create, you know, uh, users, sub-users, sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-users, etc. So a lot of granularity on you know, what a, a global admin is going to see all the way down to, you know, individual, uh, you know, accounts. And then you can kind of break down into each one. You can search, you know, through accounts if you don't want to run through a, the tree of, of architectures there. Um, but uh, everything is, is presented as a service with a, with a really straightforward web-based UI. I'll give you kind of a glimpse here on this next slide. Um, this is our, our basic, uh, you know, simulation uh, UI. You see all sorts of fun Star Wars st uh, stuff in there. Don't don't tell Disney. Um, but uh, at any rate, you know, this is uh, the dashboard that you're going to see. So you're going to have a live feed. You're going to have summary views of, of what's going on. Um, one of my favorite monitors here is is actually the uh, a percent change monitor, which is going to tell you you know, how much of my data has actually changed. You would be able to see that uh, should you configure it on this dashboard. That's a phenomenal kind of kind of report to know, uh, oh, have I gotten encrypted with like a crypto locker you know, type virus because it, you know, the software is going to say, hey, 80% of all your data change is going to throw a warning. It's going to let you know. It's going to even give you some actions to be like, yeah, don't, don't do anything else. Just stop there. I don't want to copy, you know, bad data to my archive. Exactly. Awesome. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I and, and, and I think, again, this could only grow in value as, as you uh, get more multiple tenants and you learn some more things about how archives grow at petabyte scale and across multiple clouds. And you can start to bring and leverage that knowledge across your entire user base back to everybody because it is a SaaS kind of service. It, exactly. Re- really straightforward. Um, in, inside the platform, and if this was a live view, I, I would I'd just hop into the platform and show you. But um the uh, we have a simulation mode and a live mode, and and why we do this is, uh, you know, at enterprise scale, you have to bring new people on board, and you can do that with by inviting them to to the platform. They'll have access to the simulation mode. They can go in there and they can do whatever they want and and really learn the information without having any impact on your live production environment. It's a it's a pretty slick way to learn. Um, there's tips all throughout uh, the the platform. There, little boxes that pop up if you want them there. Um, you can obviously subdue those because they can get incredibly annoying if you're a uh, uh, you know an IT sysadmin who's been using this for a while. But uh, really helpful when you're getting set up and training new users. I mean, but I mean, really, you're you're, you're almost making this fun to say I want to try doing data protection on my whole enterprise using this because this looks like I could actually deliver that. And yep. uh, if I'm faced with the other a panoply of legacy tools that I've got. I just, just, I'm like, oh no, it's never going to work. I'm never going to get this thing. Never going to keep up. Um, so this is this offers a lot of promise and hope. Uh, with that, I think uh, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to Dave here, and maybe we've got some uh, questions from our audience for you, John. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just kind of go to the next slide here, so you guys can yep. can see. This is a uh, not the view from my office, but uh, uh, <laughs> close by. We're in, we're in Santa Monica, California. Um, the link that I have here is uh, the link to the the free demo. Um, so uh, we we do offer you know a a uh, a thirty day you know free trial, and we will we'll actually it will extend that you know if if necessary. Uh, usually people get a pretty good idea by thirty days if it's going to work for them or not. But some of the larger enterprises you know they've got more than a thirty day closing cycle. So and you, can, you can lend them a couple petabytes of data too, probably. So if you want. to... <laughs> oh yeah, sure. You know, I have fun. Exactly. You know, so we. One of the beauties of Operavi is, is since we don't host any data, right? I, I, I can. We, we don't really care how much you're you're testing on a POC. It's not going to impact your costs, right? Awesome. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Great. Well, fabulous, fabulous guys. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up, John, because that actually takes care of a question that came up quite a bit ah. here today. Which Good. was, um, you know, what about demos or proofs of concept and how do those work? And, um, you know, unless there's anything you want to add, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I think you got it, but um, that, that did come yeah. up quite a bit. Yeah, no, I think as we, um, you know, as we, as you register an account, right, it's going to automatically put you into into demo mode for, for by default 30 days. There's no restrictions on that 30 days. And then we can, uh, um, you can set up as many endpoints as you want, as many servers as you want. Um, you know, really get a good feel for how it's going to work in your environment, and uh, I, we can, like I said, in in extreme scenarios, we can extend it, you know, as necessary. Okay, great. So, so that was an important one. We do have a bunch of questions. We're a little bit short of time. If we don't yeah. get an answer to your question, someone from Operavi or, or Mike or someone from Truth and IT will get back to you with an answer. So, let's get to this one. This one came up a couple times too, which is how do you guys handle virtual machines? Yeah, um, virtual machines is a good one. So we handle them. Uh, the uh, the best way that we found to handle them is by putting that transparent agent on the guests themselves as opposed to the visor level because that's going to really give you the granularity of control that you need. 
Um, it also helps with the efficiency of kind of getting data out to cloud. Um, it's similar to how um, you know Veeam Cloud Connect actually works. They they require the same thing because they found that the the most efficient way to get to 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 make sure that you don't absolutely nuke the host is to uh, to go at the, the guest level when you're dealing with cloud. Okay. Um, Mike, anything to add there? Or should, should we go on to the next question? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm, you know, I just, I think uh, virtualization is an important one. We're going to also uh, probably find a lot of questions about uh, new styles of processing, including containers and the rest of it going forward too, as, as we get into uh, going from hundreds of VMs, thousands of containers or millions of containers, how do you protect the data from those? And I'm sure you guys are thinking about that. Any, any comments now about that? Um, you know, I, I said this earlier when we were talking, but I'm, I'm just technical enough to get myself into trouble. So I, I won't attempt to fully answer that one. I will tell you that we are testing and working with, with containers. Um, we've actually deployed Operavi via container uh, several times. Um, so it is capable, but that's as, I, I know we've done it. I have no idea how we do it. <laughs> All right. Sounds I won't answer that. Call, call us and I'll get someone smart on the phone. All right. All right. So, hey, let's go. Here's another question that came in a couple times, too. This is going to be the last uh, question we have time for, unfortunately. But it's yeah. the question is, how do you actually reduce cloud storage? It's pretty yeah. Straightforward. Yeah. So we talked about uh, that, that pruning algorithm. So um, what data pruning does is because we're placing data, uh, whether it's on, in cloud or even, even on premises, um, we are that data starts you know timing out right so if it's got a seven year retention period ten year retention period you decide what you want to do um, because of the way that we're actually placing data in cloud it's that sub file granularity um, and because we know exactly what you have right and when that in, in that sub file you know increment change right that that 4k byte change whatever it may be we know when when that is no longer needed. Uh, we can actually automatically remove that out of your cloud storage location, right? So if you, and then if you want to provide an extra policy on that and you want to take that and, and bring it back down, you know, on-prem, for example, you know, for destruction, what have you, you can do it that way. But but pruning is a way to actually go into our Operati file in wherever it sits and remove something the moment its retention policy expires. Okay, fabulous. Mike, anything to add or should we take it on out from here? No, no, I think we've covered, you know, we, uh, one of the questions I was curious about really is, uh, is is that cloud and which cloud support. We talked a little bit about that, uh, how you reduce storage in the cloud. That was on my thing. Uh, and, and I think you pretty much answered it. Maybe just a little bit about how someone, you know, might buy this solution. Is this a SaaS subscription? Is this, uh, 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 how, how are you pricing this? Yeah, absolutely. So for the for the uh, average user or service provider that's out there, we, we price this based on source data protected in aggregate. And what I mean by that is when when you create your policy and you say, I want to back up this data, that's what you get billed on, right? It's not what happens after dedupe and compression and stored out in the cloud because that can get really, really um, invisible. Yeah right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I like invisible, right? Because you're like, I have no idea what my bill is going to be this month. Um, with Operavi uh, on the interface, you know, if you look, you can see how much terabytes is protected. The, the demo has says 201 on that on that look. So you would get charged on, you know, that 201 terabytes. Um, we do uh, flexible billing. So you can go month to month. Uh, you can save some money by choosing an annual plan up front based on the amount of data you have. Um, 
and you can even do, you know, you can even pay the month in advance, right, uh, for data. But it's all calculated on how much actual data you are protecting. Um, the the software, uh, you know, calculates that, uh, you know, monthly for you. Awesome. Yep. All right. Well, fabulous. Um, thank you all for watching. Thank you for coming today. Uh, John Kalmus with Operavi, thank you for joining us today. Yeah. And Mike Matchett. Thank yep, you. Thanks, Dave. And uh, we'll look forward, hopefully, to having you guys back again. Um, if, uh, if you guys uh, didn't win today, um, please come back. We're running webcasts all the time and, and all sorts of you know, Amazon promotions all the time. So please come back to another Truth and IT webcast. Uh, for now, on behalf of John and Mike, thank you very much for coming today. And uh, we'll sign off and wish you a great day. All right. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yep, thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.